A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you so forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes down to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. May God bless to us that reading from his holy word. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that sufferings produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope <clears throat> and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, we, for if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only in this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, 
work through the, the second passage that's been read out this morning. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, day that we can share together. We thank you that it is a Good Friday, a reminder of the original Good Friday. And we pray that you'd help us to understand something more about uh, your love for us from this passage. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've noticed that from time to time, people make jokes. They make jokes about trading places. They say things like, oh, I wouldn't trade places with you for quids. And normally they say that kind of thing when uh, someone's doing a, a pretty tough job. I, would, I don't know if anyone's ever sort of said that thing to you when you've found yourself in particular jobs and think, you know, I wouldn't trade places for you in that situation. Well, I've said that, I've heard that thing said to me a bit in the past. Uh, normally it's in situations where I've been on a, a building site and, uh, and the job is to shift a pile of bricks from one part of the site to another. Someone says, I wouldn't trade places with you for quids. And I can appreciate what they mean. The other situation I've found is when I'm uh, changing a fairly full nappy as well and people say things like that usually. Well, we know that there are situations uh, which we wouldn't like to trade places with someone. But we also know that trading places sometimes can solve a problem, can't it? Now, before I introduce this example that I'm about to give you, I want you to know that I've, I've received permission from the people who shared it with me. Uh, Max and Wendy Hutchins had a situation where they did a trade of sorts. They're friends of ours from the 845 congregation uh, and they were more than happy for me to share a bit of this story. You see, Max had some kidney problems and they were, they were very serious kidney problems. Uh, he told me that if he didn't have a new kidney, the trouble was he'd be faced with something called dialysis, uh, which is a to be honest with you, I don't know a great deal about what dialysis is, but it didn't sound great, and he told me that it would reduce his life expectancy considerably. Uh, there's a few nurses in the congregation. <laughs> you can ask them at morning too. Anyway, I've got to get this show back on the road here. So poor old Max, he's in a, in a very desperate situation. And uh, he let me know that if he had the dialysis, it wasn't great. Uh, his life would be cut short considerably. But his wife, Wendy, who's the heroine in this story, she did a type of trade with Max of sorts. She substituted one of her kidneys. She gave a kidney so that Max could function well once again. And after that successful operation, uh, friends started to make jokes about how finally they knew that Max and Wendy were compatible. Uh, the, the kidney took. It was a good moment. And it was a good story uh, of trading places of sorts. And it's a good ending too. And it continues to this day, which is quite wonderful. Now that trade was a way of solving Max's problem. But it reminds us a little bit in part of a trade that took place on the original Good Friday. And it raises for us again the topic of what God has done to solve our problem. Now, in today's passage in Romans chapter 5, you can see that there before you in the outline, we're presented with a rare situation, and it's in verse 7, if you're focusing on to the reading. 
In verse 7, Paul writes, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. Though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. Now, it's quite a rare situation when somebody swaps a kidney, isn't it? You might know a few situations like that, but they're, they're still fairly rare. But it's even rare, isn't it, when somebody trades their very life. So I wonder if you'd think for a moment about who you would give, you'd be willing to give up your life for. If you were to take a pen and paper out and to write a list of the people that you'd do that for, I wonder who'd make it onto your list of the people you'd be willing to die for. Would it be a spouse or a child? Perhaps a good friend? It's a bit frightening even thinking about that situation, a situation uh, where we'd potentially have to weigh up who we'd be willing to give our life for. But whatever that situation, I don't expect that the list that you probably thought about imagining writing down for the people that you give your life for would be a very long list. It's probably a pretty short one. And the people who probably made the cut on that kind of list would probably be the people that you love and they would love you too. That's what I'm guessing. But what we see here in this passage today is something about the depth of God's love. We see that in verse 6 and in verse 8. It says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And in verse 8, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul's point is that Jesus, sent by God, died not for wonderful, righteous or good people. He died for ungodly people. Uh, He died for people who don't deserve God's love. And so what we see in this part of the Bible is the news that God's love is far greater than human love. Whilst we might be willing, possibly, to die for someone that we love or they love us, uh, God shows his love in that Christ has died for ungodly people who don't love him. Well, now think for a moment. Do you and I deserve God's love? As you think about your life over the past week, as I think about my life, do we really deserve God's love? Well, the fact is God knows how we've all lived. He knows our failures and he knows the ways in which we can be hard in our hearts. And as we think about those things, I guess that's when we can start to appreciate the depth of his love, isn't it? Uh, He's still been willing to show his love to us. It's not something that we deserve, but God's love is great and extends, he extends his love in Christ to us. Well, this is an interesting point though, isn't it? As we think about how God's love is shown. For as we look at God's love towards us, we also see something about Jesus. We learn something about Jesus. We learn that he's very special, that he was fully man, as he showed by dying on the cross. And we also see that he was God come in the flesh. 
if God weren't taking our sin upon himself in the person of Jesus, then there wouldn't be much of an argument in this passage, would there? It would be instead a little bit more like this, a situation where I hear that you might be in strife. What's that? You need somebody to help you, someone to rescue you perhaps from... uh, If you were in a situation where someone, you you needed rescuing, say you were on that building site and it was your job to shift that big pile of bricks and I think, yes, I love you so much, I'll send someone else to help you. It doesn't quite work, does it? There you are, you need rescuing. I'll send Scott to help you lift that pile of bricks. There's my great love. Well, that doesn't quite work, does it? The point is from the passage in Romans is that God's love works because he deals with our sin himself, but in the person of his son. Jesus was fully human, but God's word teaches us that the living God is also fully present in Jesus as well. It's a a mysterious concept, but that's what the Bible teaches us. God shows his love as he takes our sin upon himself in the person of Jesus. And the fruit of God's love is quite wonderful, isn't it? Because it brings an end to hostility between sinful people and a holy God. We see that in verses 9 to 11, if you're following along. Let's have a look at verse 9. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Verse 10. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul's using an argument of, if this much, then how much more? Or if you like, he's going from the major thing to the minor thing. He's saying in verses 6 and 8 that God's already done the major thing. He's brought us into a new relationship with himself, even when we didn't deserve it. And he describes that situation using two key words. The first one is justified. That's a word from the the law court world, where we're declared as righteous in God's sight. That's how we stand. When God sees us, we're righteous in his sight. And the second word is to be reconciled. This is where the idea of two parties are brought together. Well, Paul's point is that the major thing's now been done. It's been accomplished. And the more minor thing, if you could put it that way, in the future when we face God on the judgment day, well, that's also been taken care of too. Isn't that marvellous? If we could sort of summarise this argument of the major to the minor, it would be like saying... To use a, a bushwalking example, I've, if I've been out in the scrub, Barrington Tops. Anyone been to the Barrington Tops recently? Where's Alice? Good. <laughs> if you've just bush bashed through 10 kilometres of scrub and it's a difficult journey, it's a fight. But, but we can turn the heat up, couldn't we? If, if there's driving rain as well and it's, and it's cold temperatures in order to get to, in order to, get to your place. Well, if I've done the hard part, well, of course I'm willing to do the easier part, which might be to walk up the garden path for another 10 metres and, uh, and then knock on the front door. See, God's already done the, the major part. 
in our salvation. Jesus has come. He's laid down his life. God's taken our sin upon himself in Christ. And the future as we face Judgment Day, well, on account of that work of Christ, that's been taken care of too. So today on this Good Friday, it's good for us as Christians to be grateful. It's a, it's a joyful day, really. It's a wonderful day because of the cross of Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to have a substitute. Max was very lucky, wasn't he? Very fortunate, that's a better way to put it, to have his wife Wendy to trade places of sorts, to provide a substitute kidney. Because at the end of the day, Max got a kidney and Wendy got nothing except some pain. Well, the analogy breaks down there a little bit, doesn't it? She did get a husband, so that's a pretty good result. Um, but what we see in the cross is that we've got a wonderful substitute as well. Other Christians have called this the great exchange that's taken place. Jesus trades places with us. We get salvation from our sins. We don't deserve it. But he bears our sin. He bears God's righteous wrath and anger against our sin so that we don't have to. And so Good Friday is a truly good day, isn't it? It's good because God has been good to us. And it is a good thing to enjoy a public holiday, isn't it? It's good to enjoy hot cross buns. It's good to make jokes with Scott about forgetting which day you get hot cross buns and chocolate heads. There's nothing wrong with those things. They're good to enjoy. But we shouldn't just be rejoicing for those reasons. You know, hot cross buns today and chocolate eggs on Sunday to come. There's only so much rejoicing that can be done about those things. Instead, let us be people who rejoice for God's goodness towards us. Let us rejoice because God has justified us. We stand acquitted in his sight. That's a wonderful thing. And let us rejoice because where we've been enemies with God, we've now been reconciled. Well, friends, that's why Good Friday is good, isn't it? Well, let us pray. Lord God, we thank you that um, we can meet together this morning and think about your goodness to us in Christ. We do thank you that uh, Jesus came as our substitute, that in Christ you took our sin upon yourself. Lord, we thank you that we can be forgiven and reconciled to you because Jesus was our sin-bearing sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that we stand in your grace now and we thank you for the comfort of the hope of the future where we know that as we face you on Judgment Day, we know that our sin's been dealt with already. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, for your great love. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to respond the right way to that. Help us to hold on to faith in Christ. Help us to continue with you as our Lord and Saviour. And Lord, we thank you for this time we've had to share this morning uh, to remind each other of these good truths from your word. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.